Good morning, everyone. Boy, I was feeling so bad that my hair was so long, but after seeing the, the video of Nate, I don't feel so bad anymore. Um, just a little disclaimer that this message might feel a little PG-13 today, so if, uh, if little, little kids are around, they probably go right over their head, but kind of middle-aged, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, might want to, I'm just throwing it out there, just talking about martyrdom a little bit, so uh, just wanted to kind of warn that, I guess, up front. So Nate read the passage for us, and of course, uh, the verse before is kind of talking about just praying for all the saints, that we would keep on praying always for all the saints with all kinds of prayers and petitions. And then Paul, you know, pulls it into this verse 19 and 20. Um, you know, pray for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Just a simplified way of, of putting this is, you know, Paul was saying, pray for me, that I would be bold in sharing the gospel. Or pray that God's words would so burn in me that I cannot help but to speak them out boldly despite the dangers. So the big idea in, this, in these verses is boldness. And I want to talk about what this is and why we need it and where it comes from. Just some simple definitions of boldness. Boldness is defined this way. A willingness to take risks and act innovatively. Confidence and courage. Another definition is not hesitating or fearful in the face of actual or possible danger or rebuff. Courageous and daring. Not hesitating to break the rules of propriety. Forward, impudent audacious. Another defined it this way in the Christian context, an attitude of strong confidence in God, such that godly things are said and done openly without fear of consequences. Paul was praying that, that he would not hold back declaring the message of Jesus, even if it resulted in being imprisoned which he was <laughs> when he wrote Ephesians, beaten, flogged, or killed. It is a mindset of believing that the benefits of spreading the gospel far outweigh the costs. This boldness of Christians is what caused, I think they were the Moravian missionaries, to sell themselves into slavery to reach slaves. Or you may have read about Christians serving the sick and dying in past pandemics throughout history and many dying themselves. Or Elizabeth Elliot leading her to go back to Ecuador to reach the people who had killed her husband, Jim Elliot. This boldness is what causes Christians that we support 
at Renaissance Church, some of our missionaries of the month, to go to hostile countries to share the gospel, despite the dangers. Christians have spoken out boldly against popular ideas in their generations. I think of uh, Jeremiah, who spoke boldly against the religious establishment of his day. I think of the boldness of Moses to confront the ruler of Egypt. I think of Esther risking her life to appeal to the king. Peter showing astounding boldness while in chains preaching an undiluted message despite the very real threat of death. Stephen held nothing back in his sermon to the crowds, even while being stoned to death? Or how about Daniel, who even though an edict went out that anyone who prayed to another god besides the uh, Babylonian god would be killed. But he continued his routine of praying three times a day, (laughs) as usual with the windows open for people to hear. And he was thrown into a lion's den to be crushed. That one ended well because the Lord shut the mouths of the lions and they didn't harm Daniel. But the hostility in the first century especially was very real. Of course, Christ was crucified. Uh, Paul was imprisoned, beaten, flogged. I think five times Paul was flogged. James The brother of John was beheaded. Stephen was stoned to death. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. Almost all of the apostles were murdered. Uh, During the reign of the emperor Nero, Christians were crucified, sewn up in animal skins and thrown to the dogs. Some were covered with pitch, nailed to posts, and burned as torches. I read that there were 7 million Christians by the 3rd century and 2 million had been martyred. Now don't quote me on that. That's one of many things that I read. Nobody really knows exactly how many Christians were martyred. But the truth is that there was much bloodshed of Christians in those first three centuries. The bloodshed in the first century is a testimony to the depth of conviction they possessed, and their great boldness in preaching the gospel. The Roman Empire often forced Christians to give allegiance to Rome and to the gods. And many Christians buckled. You don't really hear those stories too much, but many Christians did buckle under the pressure, and they bowed the knee to the gods of Rome, but many refused. And that's what boldness is really all about. It's nothing, it has nothing to do with uh, being loud or brash, you know, having a personality that is sort of, I don't know, just super outgoing or um, it's not about that at all. It can be a quiet, peaceful refusal to bow the knee to a false god. I came across this story as I was just kind of getting uh, sucked down into the rabbit hole uh, yesterday, just reading about different 
persecutions in the first century, first three centuries, actually. But I came across this uh, story of Polycarp, who was kind of famous, and he was a disciple, actually, of the Apostle John. He was the Bishop of Smyrna. It says this, in the Asia minor city of Smyrna, persecution broke out against Christians, and some were put to death for their faith. But the agitated mob wanted to cut off the church by getting rid of their leader, the now-aged Polycarp. The believers hid Polycarp in a farmhouse. You know, the leaders uh, back then were, you know, taught that nobody should seek out martyrdom, but neither should it be avoided if there was no choice and it meant denying Christ. The authorities found the farmhouse and came to arrest the old man. I love this. He welcomed his captors as if they were old friends and gave them food and drink. He asked for an hour to pray before being taken to the arena. They relented. The hour stretched into two hours, and the officers, overhearing his prayers, began to wonder what they were doing arresting an old man like this. Polycarp was brought into the arena, and instead of Polycarp begging for his life, we find the proconsul pleading with the aged bishop to just curse Christ so he could be released. But Kali, uh, Polycarp's reply was this, 80 and six years have I served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? He was burned alive. And the Christians present said there was a joyful radiance on Polycarp's face as he died. Well, these kinds of persecutions are foreign to us in America. I wouldn't say in the world today. There is much violent persecution against Christians in the world all around, especially the last 10, 20 years. But in America, it's a bit foreign to us because I think Christianity has profoundly shaped who we are as a nation. Um, it's a great melting pot of all different kinds of people from all over the world with different worldviews, but Christianity still is the dominant religion in America. We have many, many Christians. I think it's 50% or it might even be more who identify as Christians. We enjoy freedom of religion for now, but mounting hostility is in the air as serious Christians are viewed with disdain for their beliefs about sin and hell and judgment, sexual ethics, their exclusivity of Christ, their belief of that, that Jesus is the only way. There is a deepening social marginalization of Christians and the sort of canceling, right, of Christians. And we are considered by many, many of the cultural influencers to be a threat to their vision of a peaceful, tolerant world. We are viewed as hateful, toxic, and the promoters of ideas that have been the cause of much bloodshed throughout history. Serious Christians are mocked openly and talked about as utterly repugnant for their views. Often the media 
helps this cause by taking the worst examples of professing Christians and pointing the spotlight upon them to fuel disgust of all things Christian. Social media especially, that has almost no filter at all, is a universe of scathing words against the Orthodox Christian gospel. I don't think I'm telling you anything you don't know already. But I don't see this getting better over time, but I see it getting worse. We may see the day when Christians lose their businesses or lose their jobs. We could see churches shut down by the government for various reasons. Christians unable to get employment and just ostracized. Jesus said this about the last days, the latter days, that many believe that we are in the last of the last days. Some say the last minutes of this kind of dispensation. Well, Jesus said this, Matthew 24, verses 9 to 14, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You know, some may wonder why I talk about these things so frequently. Um, I just think it's important to be sober-minded about how things are evolving, what the Bible predicts about the last days that we're moving into, uh, the persecutions that happen all around the world. I think it's important to, for us to be sober about these things so we can be prepared. I think when we when I read these things in, in the Word of God, when I even read about things in history, they, they have a way of driving me to God. And so I want to you know, pass that on to you who are in this church and just that you would be prepared. I want us to be prepared, and I don't want us to uh, fizzle or fade. I don't want us to be quiet in times when we need to be bold even if it costs us our life, uh, I want us to be bold to the very end. Now back to Ephesians. Paul was essentially asking for prayer, that he would be strengthened, right, in his conviction. Paul was praying that he would not count his life dear to himself, as he talked about in Acts 20. Paul did not want to hold in the gospel for any reason, you know, for fear of consequences. But it's interesting, right, that Paul is praying for words. What, what does that mean? Pray, pray for words to be given to me. I mean, this is the, this is the guy who, who wrote most of the New Testament, right? But I don't think Paul was asking that, you know, God would just give Paul something to say. I mean, Paul was the one who preached all night long. Remember the guy was in the window and fell out of the window, 
halfway through Paul's like, you know, 10-hour sermon, and he died, and they raised him from the dead, and then Paul continued the sermon. It says, until daybreak. <laughs> the man had words. But I think what was happening was Paul was praying that when he is in situations with unbelievers, regardless of the possible consequences, that God would move his heart to speak. Because we, we can know the message. We can know the Bible inside and out. We can even know how to uh, address the great objections of the day with wisdom and intelligence. And yet, all of that knowledge will do nothing unless we possess boldness in the moment. Can I get an amen from everybody at home, too? <laughs> Paul did not only preach to those who seemed open to receiving the gospel. He preached and the early disciples preached in hostile environments. It's what the disciples did really all over the known world. Read the book of Acts and, and they just went into places that were hostile and what happened? Riots broke out in some cases. They were imprisoned. They were Many of them were killed. So they weren't just kind of making their, themselves available if anybody was interested in learning about Jesus. Our doors are open. They weren't just kind of going out there quietly and looking for the people who might be really open to Jesus. No. They went out and proclaimed the gospel everywhere. After preaching a message in the temple... Peter and John, remember that story in Acts 3 and 4? They were seized and questioned. And just picture the scene. They are surrounded by essentially the same angry leaders who weeks earlier flogged and crucified Jesus. I'm sure they could see the hate in the eyes of these angry leaders. The murder. In their eyes. Peter knew that the possibility of being beaten, flogged, or even killed was real. Instead of trying to defuse the situation, Peter takes the opportunity. He preaches a very bold message about Christ to these hostile leaders. I think it was just Peter and John were the only Christians in the room. And they're surrounded by these authorities, religious authorities who were agitated by them because they're preaching this message out in the public. And what does Peter do? He preaches to them. Acts 4.13 says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Then a few verses later, it says this, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, the religious leaders said, let us warn Peter and John to speak no more to anyone in this name. Don't you kind of feel that pressure in our society? 
It's like the unspoken pressure of don't talk about Jesus in the workplace. It is not allowed. Do not talk about Jesus in school, in the college, anywhere. Don't talk about Jesus in the dinner at, with the extended family, at the family reunion. There is just an unspoken, intense pressure in our society to say nothing about Jesus. Am I right? So that, they were pressured. They were warned to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them in, Peter and John in, charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Again, I, just, I don't think he was trying to be a troublemaker, but Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. <laughs> that is very, very bold. Notice where the boldness comes from. Peter says, what we have seen and heard. In other words, we cannot unsee what we have seen. We have seen the risen Christ. We cannot unhear what we have heard. We have heard the words of the very Son of God in our ear. That's where the boldness comes from. Well, the gospel message we have been entrusted to communicate to the world has a way of stirring things up, doesn't it? I mean, some of you know that you've stirred up your families. You have stirred up your workplaces at times. Some of you stirred up all of your, you know, non-Christian friends. You know, once you became a Christian and you went back and stirred them up. And uh, all kinds of trouble has followed when we preach this gospel message. Jesus warned that this message would be offensive. And that his followers, that's me and you, would be hated in the world. Not that everybody will hate Christians. That's not the truth. But we are told that this gospel message is the means of salvation. Paul said this in Romans chapter 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel says, just to refresh us for a moment here, the gospel says that all have sinned, all are guilty, all are sentenced to eternal death, hell. That nobody can qualify for heaven by their good works, by being good. But praise be to God. Christ came into the world to stand in our place to take the punishment for our sins. And the good news is that whosoever is willing can come to him for the free gift of eternal life and become a new creation and dwell in the presence of God forever. Now, being on this side of it, being a Christian, I, I, it just feels like such good news, doesn't it? 
It just, I just, the way I perceive that, even when I read that, you know, oh, but it says all have sinned and all are guilty and all are sentenced to eternal hell. That's the, the part that people stumble over, that they get offended over. I'm not offended at that at all. Like, yeah, I'm a sinner. I mean, it took a while for me to kind of come to grips with that, but that is the truth. Yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm imperfect. I need a savior. I'm comfortable now saying that. But for whatever reason, the pride that is deep in the heart of people, they cannot, uh, they cannot deal with that truth. But it is good news, ultimately. Now, it seems like the trend today in many circles is to rework the Christian faith so that it conforms with popular ideas in culture. Specifically, it's a, it's a sort of new kind of Christianity. And there are churches all through New England like this who celebrate all religions. I don't know where, how they can do that when the Bible says, have no other gods before me. It's so clear. There's no other name under heaven but Jesus that can save. There's only one mediator between God and men. Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said, right? I mean, they're just so much in Scripture. They're just denying. Might as well just cut up the Bible. They enthusiastically affirm forbidden sexual practices, another aspect of the Bible that they might as well just cut out and, or rework or reinterpret or whatever with cleverness, like Peter talked about, how some distort the Scriptures. And they just espouse this kind of moral rel relativity and, and ethics. But it's a Christianity that is tepid in all respects and really has no effect at all on the spiritual life in culture. Nothing. It is completely ineffective. Now, the megachurch or seeker church model is to simply avoid the difficult Bible truths rather than deny them. This seems to be, uh, honestly, the most effective way to grow a church because it's kind of the best of both worlds. You know, you got some truth that's attractive and yet... Anything culturally offensive is carefully avoided. But the problem with that is it produces deficient disciples. And really, it sends people out into the world with a deficient message that really confuses people more than helps people. So I'm just encouraging us here, may we not follow those patterns but let's follow in the bold footsteps of Jesus, Paul, and the early Christians. What I'm really hoping to press upon you today is just our need for boldness in sharing the gospel. You know, as we head into the warmer months, I pray that we would, we would fearlessly speak the word. Again, I'm not talking about being loud. I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about being the kind of person that doesn't listen. First, we should be servants and gentle and respectful always. But I pray that we would be fearless when we have those moments, when we have those opportunities to, to speak. The clever 
delusion of the enemy we fall under, at least I do sometimes, is that we should just love people and not preach to them. You know, that we should only preach the gospel to those who are eager to hear it. But this is just not biblical. This is not what the Bible teaches. We are called to go into all the world and to preach to all. I mean, many of the parables of Jesus, right, emphasize this idea of kind of spreading the net far and wide and the Lord would, you know, sort the fish out at the end or, you know, the seed being spread everywhere and only some of it taking good root. Satan convinces us that if we do or say anything that disrupts the peace or provokes anger in anybody or even strains a relationship, then, you know, that's not what the Lord wants us to do. That's not wisdom. You know, we're pushing people away. Again, that's a whole other message. People can be, because of their arrogance or being obnoxious, not being good listeners, not just being hypocrites. They can push people. That's a whole nother message. That's not, not what I'm talking about this morning. But Jesus was meek. He was perfect. He was filled with love and compassion. And he provoked people to anger. The plain testimony of Scripture is that Men and women often described as filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom spoke out in hostile situations and suffered slander, imprisonment, beatings, and death. As I often say, Christians are rarely killed for being nice or caring for the poor. They are killed for speaking the truth in hostile environments. 1 John 3 says, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Again, it's not everyone, but it's just part of the package. You know, if we're going to be a disciple of Christ, what did Jesus say? If you want to follow me, what do you need to do? Deny yourself, take up your cross, Right? Take up the cross. What is the cross? The cross is being publicly shamed. Like Jesus was shamed publicly um, and viewed as just a loathsome creature you know, to the crowds that despised him. And he says, come, follow me. Pick up your cross. Now in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul says, since we have such hope, we are very bold. And so what hope is he talking about? Well, he just finished talking in the previous verses about the surpassing glory of God that we have in Christ. You know, Paul was referring to just the opening of our spiritual eyes, the baptism of power, the glorious divine touches, the infusions of mercy, the visions of eternity that cause us to be bold. That's where boldness comes from is this encounter that we have with God. To the degree that we grasp eternal realities, we will be bold. And I'm not talking about merely head knowledge or academic confidence in defending the faith. That is definitely important. 
and foundational. But what makes us bold is repeated encounters with the living God, whereby he makes the kingdom of God real to us. When that happens, a fire begins to burn in us and we cannot contain it. Proverbs says the righteous are bold as a lion. One of the great prayers in the book of Acts is this. Now, Lord, and this was after, I actually was talking about this story before in Acts 3 and 4 where uh, the persecution came upon Peter, but Peter was really bold. Peter and John were bold. But Peter and John come back uh, to their friends, to the church, and they pray this. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And God apparently loves this prayer because when they had prayed, the, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Again, despite the threats of imprisonment or having their goods confiscated, which happened, or despite the threats of uh, being beaten or flogged. And if you want to really, you know, it's hard to stomach, but I mean, look at the flogging in the, the movie, The Passion of the Christ. You know, some say that's probably pretty close to what it was. It was a long, drawn-out, difficult-to-watch scene. It's not just like a little you know, being beaten with a little uh, bamboo stick or something. Not that that would be good either, but this was intense. It tore off your skin to the point where it was horrible. Where does that boldness come from? You know, I mean, nobody wants to be hated, mocked, slandered, rejected, imprisoned, beaten, flogged, killed, crucified. Nobody in the right mind, wants that. You know, we're naturally concerned as human beings. You know, it even says this in Ephesians 5, right, that we care for our bodies. You know, we kind of pamper our bodies. We, we love our bodies. We love ourselves. And we're concerned for our own safety. But I want to encourage you that the apostles, the great and mighty apostles, except for Paul, because he wasn't a Christian yet. But they all forsook Jesus and fled, the Bible says. I mean, only John, young John, with Jesus' mom, Mary, were at the foot of the cross. Where was everyone else? In fear, they were hiding. Peter even denied Christ. But after the resurrection, something happened. They had an encounter with the risen Christ. The Spirit of God came upon them in power. They were transformed. Tongues of fire, right? Acts chapter 2 came and rested upon them. They were supernaturally endowed with boldness and courage. And that same Holy Spirit that was on them is in us. Our boldness, listen, has nothing to do with being macho or tough or manly or anything like that. Boldness is a result of weak, humble people allowing the boldness of Jesus to flow through them. Thank God for that. I pray that we would try things 
in this year, that we would take risks, that we would just open our mouth at times and just speak it out. You know, don't wait for the perfect situation where the, it seems like the person is so open, like the, 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 the fruit is so ripe, you could just touch the branch and it falls. Take some risks. See what happens. Maybe it'll be awkward. Maybe it'll be strained. Maybe the person will get angry. I have had a lot of people be angry with me for things that I have spoken to them throughout the years. You know, we get over it. I don't like that. I'm, listen, I am, I am a fierce peacemaker. I do not like fighting with people. I don't like to make anybody feel uncomfortable. I don't have, I don't take any pleasure in that. If, you know, my personality is a natural, I avoid conflict at all costs. But people are lost. The reality is that multitudes around us are perishing. They're staggering toward eternal hell. People alive today will be dead tomorrow and will fall into the hands of the living God without the righteousness of Jesus upon them. They will fall into hell. I mean, how can we keep this life-giving message to ourselves? How can we? Well, thanks for listening to this heavy message. They're going to call the musicians back up. They're going to do a little bit of more worship. And I just want to pray for us because, you know, my intention is not to overwhelm us, but just to kind of provoke us. And if we feel like, I, I just, you know, I'm so shy. I'm so, it's, I just get so nervous. I don't, I just, I don't, I don't want to look awkward in, in situate. Listen, I'm with you in that. I don't want that either, but people are lost. This is the tension, right? You know, we don't want to look weird, but we want people to get saved. You know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to strain a relationship, and yet we want this person to find Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a, t- we, there's a tension to this, right? What I'm saying is this, this, this bringing people to Christ, or the possibility that they could be saved, far outweighs whatever social discomfort we might have, or even if we were in danger of being beaten or being imprisoned or losing our job or being killed. It's still, I mean, what is our life? Our life is a blip. It's nothing. We're here for a moment. Let's pray. Father, I just ask for your boldness. Lord, we don't have it in ourselves. We can't muster it up out of our own hearts it's just not something we can, we can do. Even those of us that are, have more outgoing personalities or that are maybe, I don't know, tough or something. But Lord, that's not, even that's not enough. Lord, to stand up boldly with conviction that burns on the inside and just speak the truth in our generation. Lord, I pray that, that you would make us burning and shining lights. Lord, I pray that you would make us like John the Baptist. Lord, I pray that not just one, not just the pastor of the church, that's not enough. Lord, I pray that every, all the just many people who attend this church, 
men and women, God, that we would have the fire of John the Baptist in our belly. Lord, that we would not back down. Lord, that we would not be obnoxious, and I'm not saying that at all. Lord, I pray that we would know when to speak and when to listen. I pray that we would never be obnoxious, that we would never be arrogant, that we would not be hypocrites, that our life would, ba- that our life would back up the words that we're saying, that what, the things that we're talking about, we would actually be living. Lord, I pray that we would have love. I pray that we would not be clanging symbols, but Lord, as we are filled with the love of God, I pray that we would be also filled with truth and that we would speak it out in this generation that tells us to no longer speak about the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be humbly loud in our time. And I pray this in Jesus' name.